You're listening to the light version of the Peace of Persistence. Visit patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash peace of persistence for complete access with double the content and zero ads. Hi and welcome to the Peace of Persistence, the show where we seek to uncover the keys to happiness and success one honest conversation at a time. I'm your host, Abigail Wright, and today we both get to meet Trisha Alexandro. Trisha, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for inviting us into your home. Mm, my pleasure. I'm so happy that you're here, and I'm grateful that you asked. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, thank me you. too. <laughs> thanks. Um, Trisha is a native New Yorker, and she studied public speaking and creative writing at Binghamton University. Mm-hmm. And when she finished college, she decided to move to Los Angeles to study the Meisner Technique at the Playhouse West Acting School. Then she returned to New York, and she studied scene study, mm-hmm. script analysis, and Shakespeare with the Barrow Group. Mm-hmm. And she's a longtime member of the Barrow Group's master class and has performed in several of their shows at their theater, including two one-woman shows that she wrote herself. Mm-hmm. Um, she also studied on-camera acting with Bob Krakauer mm-hmm. and attended the Manhattan Film Institute. She's also a member of the Labyrinth Theater Company's Intensive Ensemble. And she wrote two plays, both had readings at the Bank Street Theater, which is the home of the Labyrinth Theater Company. Mm-hmm. Trisha also, thank you. <laughs> Trisha also has a ton of credits in film and theater, and you should check those out at trishaalexandro.com. Um, in addition to all of the work she does as an actor, she also performs her own writing at the Bowery Poetry Club the third Sunday of every month yes. as part of the Symphonics live show that's hosted by Sean Randall. Uh, she also sort of works on and premieres and um, performs her own writing. Yes. At uh, Tuesdays at 9, the Naked Angels monthly reading series. Right now, she's working on her next one-woman show, which I'm excited to hear about. Um, and it's based on monologues, based on urban women. It's a compilation of monologues based on urban women. And she plans to perform it by early 2018. So that's really exciting. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Trisha, I'm, I'm so excited to hear about everything that you're doing, mm. and I'm, I'm kind of curious about your upbringing a little bit. Mm. Which came first, the scripter or the ham? The, <laughs> did, you, did you sort of see yourself as a writer growing up, as an actor, both? Um, I would say that acting came first, definitely, and that um, I only thought that it could be a hobby until I graduated from college and, um, and moved out to Los Angeles. So. It wasn't anything I entertained as like, oh, I'm going to grow up and be an actor. It was, um, I thought I would be an, a teacher. Both of my parents were teachers. And um, I just knew that acting was something that I loved to do. Um, on the side, I thought of it as an extracurricular. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of moving to L.A. was giving myself permission to really go after it um, without feeling like I was disappointing anybody or... Um, you know, being too rebellious, because um, it was important to me that it's, you know, a lifelong thing, but it was important to me to be liked and um, that my parents be proud of me and that they approve of my choices. And sure. I thought this this one is a little too out there and it'll, it'll make them nervous. And it did for a time, <laughs> but they got on board mm-hmm. eventually. Yeah. When I moved to L.A., the sort of distance 
from New York and from my family sort of allowed me to really embrace the idea of like, oh no, this is, you know, what brings me alive and this is what I want to do with my life. And, uh, and writing came later. That's great. Mm -hmm. So they were supportive. They were. And it helps. I have an older brother who's a comedian. So I, yeah. So, so I feel, kind of broke them down. Exactly right. He's five <laughs> years older and, um, so he's an individual, you know, he's, he's strong-willed and has always sort of marched to the beat of his own drum. So, um, it was not the same sort of angsty decision for him to sort of come out and say, I'm going to be a comedian, even though we don't know any comedians and no, nobody in our family is a comedian. He, he just kind of knew that that's what he wanted to do. And I was like, wow, that's great that he can do that. You know? So it, it sort of paved the way for me to say, this is what I want to do with my life. And, um, and also just the, the advice that I got from him because he was out there doing it before I was, um, was, you know, invaluable. Is he still? He is. He is. He opens for Jim Gaffigan oh, cool. a lot. Um, he's been on Letterman three times. He's been on Conan O'Brien. Um, he has three comedy specials. Um, What's his name? Where can we find him? His name is Ted Alexandro. Oh. And he, yeah, his website is tedalexandro.com. Awesome. Yeah, he's fantastic. And does he live here? Do you get to... Yeah, yeah. He lives in Astoria. And um, and yeah, I see him all the time. That's great. <laughs> yeah. That's really nice. Oh, it's such a blessing. Yeah. That's another reason why I love, you know, moving back to the East Coast. I, I thought, you know, when I moved to L.A. that it was a long-term move, and I saw myself living there for, you know, the next 20 years, um, and it wound up just being a year and a half, and uh, um, part of that at the time felt like a failure, like I was mm. giving up, and I thought, well, there's not really that much work on the East Coast, and, and that has changed a lot over the years, um, but it's also... Uh, I think I underestimated how important it was to have a support system around me, and my, my family has always been an incredible support system for me. Um, so moving back was actually like getting my foundation back under me. Yeah. That's great. Thanks. Yeah. You're clearly very prolific as an actor and a writer, and you're constantly creating more content for yourself. So I'm curious, what drives you in your work? I'd say like absence drives my work. Like if, if I see... Um, like women underrepresented, if I see uh, urban women especially underrepresented, if I see minorities underrepresented, I feel this fire inside of me to right that wrong. Um, I come from a family of storytellers. My mother is, you know, she was a stay-at-home mom for much of my life, and then she was a religion and sex ed teacher. Um, but the way she taught class was like watching, to me, a, a master class, like a master performance. She's incredibly engaging incredibly smart, um, you know, very spiritual. She's a practicing Catholic, which is like not a very popular thing, but um, she had has this passion for the Bible and for Catholicism and for, uh, for changing things, like within the Catholic Church by staying within the Catholic Church. That's huge. Which I think is really powerful and noble and important example. Um, because I think it's really easy, like with government and with everything else, to stand on the outside and say, there's no way to change that, and it's a patriarchy, and it's corrupt, and whatever, and to just sort of wash your hands of it. Um, and I'm really inspired by the people who say all those things, who say, yeah, it's corrupt, and it needs to change, but who stay within the institution and say, I'm going to run for office, or... I'm going to stay within this church and I'm going to write letters. And, you know, what my mom did was she, you know, wrote letters to the bulletin, which was this, this Catholic, um, 
magazine and said women should be priests, women should be allowed on the altar just as much as men should, um, men should, like priests should be allowed to marry, like all of these things that she thought were um, with problems within the system. And so I learned from her that I have a voice and that it can be powerful. What a wonderful mentor. That's what gets me going. Um, more than any sort of, if I start to focus on I want to have a resume like this person, or I want to have this award or that award, that actually stops me up and um, cripples me and paralyzes me and makes me more self-conscious. Mm. Um, when I put it on the joy of bringing these stories to life, these women to life, um, when I put the focus on the fire and the passion of this isn't being said and it needs to be said, um, then I can't wait to get to the computer and write something. That's so, fabulous. Thanks. Looking for a great present for that reader or student in your life? You need to visit the online bookstore with a soul, Better World Books. They collect and sell books online to donate books and fund literacy initiatives worldwide. You can get that perfect present while helping promote literacy. Visit peaceofpersistence.com slash betterworld for free shipping worldwide and the chance to make a difference. That's peaceofpersistence.com slash betterworld. So what attracts you the most about the theater experience? I mean, to me, that's a high that you can't replicate anywhere else. You know, um, it's great fun to be on a set. It's great fun to be able to do things over and over again, um, to have the intimacy of the camera. Um, but... You know, and maybe it's the same thing that draws my brother to, to comedy. There's an instant gratification, an instant response, and there's a communion that happens that to me is like, oh my God, if I could bottle this and give it to everybody, I would. You know, it is just like no other thing. It's a reminder, I think, of what our true essence is, is that we're all actually connected and we're all actually one. And we forget that all the time because it's very easy to forget. Um, but when you're experiencing theater on stage and also in the audience, um, there's a, a thing that happens where um, you're sort of riding a wave of, of spirit, of uh, we're all in this together, of what feels like love to me, um, what some might call God, I don't know. But it's just... Um, a hugeness that I don't experience anywhere else. Wow. How can people find your upcoming shows? On your website? or I'm pretty bad at um, keeping my website current. So um, I, if you Facebook friend me, it's Trisha Alexandro, T-R-I-C-I-A, Alexandro. Um, I'm also on Instagram, Trish.Alexandro, um, which is T-R-I-S-H dot Alexandro. Um, I update those all the time and I put all of my current stuff and you know some of the shows that I'm on are very like last minute like oh you know in four days I'm going to be on this thing um so that's the most current um eventually I would love to hire somebody <laughs> to keep my website updated or just get better at doing it myself but yeah so if anybody wants to volunteer to help keep Trisha's website up yeah internship <laughs> yeah have you had any big obstacles that you've learned to overcome? And um, what lessons did you learn from those experiences? You get to any age in life, you've probably had a, a bunch. Um, 
I think my early obstacles were probably being like a highly sensitive person in a um, very messy world um, that kind of tries to tamp down sensitive people. So um, I cry easily. I still do. <laughs> That's just part of who I am. I feel things deeply. I, um, it's good for acting. It's great for acting, and, when, and finding acting was a salvation for me in that way. Um, but yeah, like um, there are certain people that will will bully that type of person. You know, uh, it can be an easy target if you're somebody who's a little softer and a little, um, you know, more sensitive. So uh, I had you know a bully in um, grammar school, and uh, and that toyed with my sense of self a lot. You know, um, and that took years, I think, to overcome um, because I thought that there was something sort of intrinsically wrong with me and something um, unpleasing and um, distasteful, you know, to other people. And then I had to somehow tamp that down and, uh, and just sort of make myself into this sort of nice, sweet facade. Um, and that, you know, I, I think that's a message that a lot of women in particular get and that can wreak havoc later. Um, when I was 23, I was raped by a guy in my acting class. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Thanks. And, uh, and so that, I think, was part of my uh, unbecoming or my unraveling. Um, because you can no longer, when something has, I think, uh, it forces you into the what Martha Beck calls the ring of fire, or uh, just intense suffering. Yes. You know? And you can either hide more after something like that, or you can burst through. Um, and the bursting through is can be slow and painful. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, you come out more yourself on the other side. You come out more fully embodying who you are and your truth and less afraid of, of saying it. Um, and so that was the great gift of that that experience gave me. It was just sort of owning um, the jagged pieces of myself that had become sort of pushed off to the side because they were less cute and less pretty and less sweet, you know. So you would say that you're resilient? I would say that, yeah, yeah. So often happy people that I meet have always been happy, um, but it would seem you've had to work on your happiness then? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that... Um, I tended more towards melancholy, I would say, um, and I really thought that that was just, you know, who I was, that, oh, you know, uh, we used to joke, because I shared a bedroom with my younger sister for 16 years, and wow. she just would wake up with this smile on her face, mm. like, ready to greet the day, and I was like, oh my god, I do not feel like that in the morning, I'm just like, I don't want to leave the bed, uh, right away I feel anxiety, um, everything feels overwhelming, um, uh, yeah, I don't know what to do first, um, all those kinds of things. And then my sort of experience of life was often feeling like a little kid in an adult world, even as an adult, you know, just feeling like other people are in charge. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Um, I am not smart enough or capable enough to make my own decisions. I need help. I need help. I just always, there was a sort of overwhelming feeling of like, I'm not ready yet. How did you overcome that? A lot of therapy. <laughs> um, I feel like if I have one strength, it's that I'm a willing student of life. Like, That's great. I'm, I'm very, um, 
willing to learn and I am open to many different uh, modalities. So if it's, you know, physical body work, you know, I've done many, many sessions of rolfing. I've done um, Reiki. I've done, uh, um, you know, all sorts of, uh, you know, hypnotherapy, all things like that. I've also done cognitive behavioral therapy, which is really helpful for me in particular because it, it specifically deals with your thoughts and, you know, cognitive distortions, the way we distort our thinking, um, the, the sort of automatic thoughts that happen when an experience happens in our life. So being able to create that space between experience and reaction has been life-changing for me and life-saving for me. It's great. Yeah. Hi, and thanks for joining us on today's light episode of The Peace of Persistence. For more about Trisha's messages as a writer, how listening to the stories of others can enhance your life, similarities and happiness across income disparity, and more, join us on Patreon at patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com, slash peace of persistence for full ad-free content. Thanks, and we'll see you there.